0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Wrestling Talk. I'm your co-host, Willie B. As always, we are coming to you from the outskirts of the greatest territory in wrestling history, Memphis, Tennessee. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the founder, CEO, and Booker of the Stars. Ladies and gentlemen, my tag team partner, Mayor McCall.
1: Willie B. We have a very, very special guest today. He was captain of the Varsity Club. He was one half of Money, Inc. as IRS, Erwin R. Shyster, with the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. He is a wrestling legend known all over the world and has held single and tag gold everywhere he has been. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Mike Rotunda. How you doing, guys?
0: Hey, good, Mike. Welcome to the show. We appreciate, it. appreciate you uh, joining us. Thanks for having me on, man.
1: Yeah, what a what a huge honor to uh, to do this uh, with us, and a special shout out to you know the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase for introducing us and making this possible. So thank you very much, Ted.
0: Let's right. get let's get started. So Mike, tell us a little bit, a little bit about your background. Um, where where you were born and raised, and and how did you get into how did you get in wrestling?
2: Um, I grew up in upstate New York, um, right outside of Binghamton, in a little town called Owego, New York, and I played three sports in high school football wrestling baseball then I played I got a scholarship to Syracuse University and uh Tom Coughlin the former NFL coach was my recruiter in in high school so I ended up playing ball and wrestling at Syracuse and um my senior year um a guy spoke at our wrestling banquet it was uh, Dick Byer the Destroyer returned from like seven years over in Japan and was a big star there and he basically approached me at the at the banquet and he said hey kid you interested in getting into pro wrestling which I didn't know anything about because back in those days like WWE would show like on a 12 o'clock at night on a Friday so and I asked Dick I said can you make money and he goes I do pretty good kid so he told me to start watching the TV and, um, you know, see what wrestling was like. He took me uh, to Baltimore, or to Montreal a few times over the summer, and I had me moving furniture. He moved back uh, to Buffalo area. So finally, at the end of the summer, I said, I got to go get a job, Dick, or you know, get this going. So he took me to Germany with him, and I started over there. I trained two weeks with him, had my first match with him, he talked the promoter into keeping me for the rest of the tour, and he left and went back to the states and said, "I'll, oh, I'll see you at Christmas time, kid." This was like in October or September, so I pretty much started, you know. So would this like, would have been,
0: would this, would this been, <clears throat> sorry, would this have been 1981, 82 time frame?
2: Yeah, I graduated in '81, so I went to Germany in October of '81 okay yep. so let's
0: back up a little bit about your your time and in, in amateur wrestling so you were a uh, i read here the eastern intercollegiate wrestling association champion so were you you were a conference champion
2: yeah back then it was like uh you know basically so many more colleges had wrestling they dropped the programs because there's no money at it over the years but yeah we had a really good team um we were probably sixth or seventh in the nation my senior year. And uh, we had a national champion, a multinational champion, Gene Mills. And I won the Easterns and we won the Easterns as a, a team uh, beating Lehigh. The only team we lost to that year in a dual meet was Iowa. Okay. And nobody, well, nobody, nobody beats Iowa. People. If
0: you know anything about amateur wrestling, Iowa's the the Iowa is yeah. uh, the Alabama football of, of wrestling.
2: <laughs> right. And that's, Back in those days, Dan Gable was the coach. And yeah, like you said, nobody ever beat him. So, <laughs> it was-
0: yeah, I'm a I'm a huge MMA fan. I love amateur wrestling, so it's a um, you know I, I love being able to talk about that. It's so, and I, I think it's it's interesting. You know, I've heard Kurt Angle talk about you know the differences of of being a you know an amateur wrestler and then having to go to the professional ranks where you're you know you're used to being. You're not used to being on your back and taking bumps. What was the biggest adjustment for you from going to you know collegiate style? Did you do freestyle or Greco-Roman?
2: No, we in college it's like uh, folk style folk they style. call it. But I, I placed in the AAU nationals twice too. Once a heavyweight and once a uh, 220 in in tournaments. You know off season. So uh, that that would be freestyle. And then in college, you know, it was like they call it folk style or whatever. So it was a little different, you know, with referees position and stuff. But sure. How did that prepare I you? Think, I think I think the biggest thing, though, when I first saw wrestling, I knew that you, you couldn't do, like, pro wrestling. You couldn't do certain things to guys and have that work. So I understood. I didn't even, you know, know it was called a, a work or anything. But I knew... The difference between actually being able to take someone down in that in, in that way or not to be able to so I kind of picked it up quick because of that like when buyer showed me you know he never never smart me up but he showed me like h- how to take a headlock and do a spot and you know I mean realistically he trained me two weeks so he couldn't have showed me too much Didn't so they- I had to
0: did Learned did you find that home. your motor <clears throat> Did you find that your motor was good since you were such a good, such good shape being a uh, such an elite level uh, co- you know college wrestler D one wrestler Yeah
2: yeah I didn't have a problem with that I mean back in those days I would we even starting out training I would do you know work out with the weights and then skip two thousand ropes a day you know wow. so my my wind was good and you had nothing else to do that's what you did you went to the gym and and then wrestled that night and then go out party and get up early and go back <laughs> to do it day. again so, yeah, that was the, that was the biggest difference in the wrestling in uh, like you know my sports career at Syracuse and then getting in there into pro wrestling was the nightlife you know so it was a lot different but I mean you basically back in those days wrestled every single day so you
1: your win never got low because of that it sounds like your biggest problem at Syracuse was having a jacket to uh, put all your letters on. I don't know if the jacket was big enough for all your letters, Mike. <laughs>
2: no, I, I actually, have – it was a great experience. I got to play with a lot of great athletes. Like Art Monk was on same class as me. Craig Wolfley, oh, wow. uh, Jim Collins. <laughs> a lot of a lot of guys played in the NFL after that.
0: So you and, did you know, you, my, you you did play football? So you played for Coach Coughlin at, at Syracuse. Yeah.
2: Actually, the head coach was Maloney. Yeah, I played four years. I've redshirted. I hurt my knee my sophomore year, and I could have come back a fifth year, but I wanted to concentrate on wrestling because the I never got the chance to do a full wrestling season because of football. You'd start, you know, the football season would end, and you'd have, like, 12 weeks to train until you went to the tournaments. But that last year... I had my best year and that's, I got to go, you know, to Arizona and wrestle in the AAU nationals and stuff off season. Otherwise I would have been doing spring football. So that, you know, I played defensive line and, uh, and we played, you know, like Michigan back then we didn't play in, um, so much of a league. They didn't even have the big East yet. And when we would start out, I played at a, uh, Ohio State, we played them, we played State. We played uh, Penn State, Pitt every year back when Pitt had, you know, Tony Dorsett, so they, we played Maryland and it was like we were kind of an independent, so we moved all over the place, and uh, yeah, it was a great experience, you know I got to go in front of crowds, you know look at Ohio State Stadium or Penn State, you know, that was pretty big deal from where i came from you know and sure. then also also doing the wrestling you know i got to go to a lot of different places so it was, it was cool a lot of work
0: awesome and for fans that don't know coach tom coughlin was the two-time super bowl winner as the coach of the new york giants i know there's some wrestling fans who apparently don't uh, don't appreciate good 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 football but i wanted to throw that out there why that name is such a such an important thing
2: yeah, and he was a he was a stickler, too. I mean, when I signed my scholarship, he would show up in my parents' house in, in, the, in the middle of the summer, and, you know, I had a job. I worked at a cable factory a couple couple summers in different jobs, and he would show up and take me down to the track and time me in, like, 330-yard runs, 440s, tw- tw- or, uh, 10, 100 yards, you know, 40-yard sprints, and, and also, it basically gave you a program, and they wanted you to do it. He would show up literally at your house
1: and test you. So
0: he, he didn't play around. <laughs>
1: no, no. One of your first stints when he did get you know into the wrestling business was you know uh, championship wrestling from Florida. What was that experience like working you know with with Eddie Graham? It was great. Eddie was a,
2: a real cool guy, very laid back. But I, before that, the first territory I really worked in the States was the Carolinas with Jim Crockett Promotions. And Wahoo McDaniel had just taken over the book, uh, booking the, the territory. And Wahoo helped me out a lot because what he did, he respected guys that were amateur wrestlers, you know, going to school at Oklahoma. And he was a great football player, but he kept me off TV for like two months or three months and let me work the the house shows every every night to get some experience. And then he shot an angle with me and Bad Bad Leroy Brown where I kept challenging him for the TV title. And I lost like three times on TV, and finally I said, well, I'll challenge you once more, and if I lose this time, you know, I, I'll never challenge you again, and I won on uh, Christmas night at a big show, and Charlotte always had a big show at the Charlotte Coliseum, and that was televised, and it was a, a, my first break, you know, and it, it was, I have to give Wahoo a lot of credit for that, and he brought in the Briscoe brothers, oh, Don wow. um who else was there? Sergeant Slaughter, Flair was the champion, Ricky Steamboat, Jay Young, but I mean, it was a great learning ground for me. And I was there about a year and a half. And, and then Florida called and the territories to, you know, um, help each other out and called and said, I need a young baby face. So they sent me down to Florida and dusty tagged Barry Winneman and myself up. So, and we got, we every night we would wrestle like 30 minute matches and go on last you know, to close the shows out. So that was, Barry was like having a coach in the ring because he was, started so young, he'd already been wrestling probably two or three years, you know, by the time I got down there. And we ended up going to New York um, and being in WrestleMania 1 together off of that. So, yeah, it was great. Eddie, Eddie, like I said, was a laid-back guy in Florida Territory. It was a, a good place to, to get more experience, you know, and, and wrestle, you, you worked your tail off like i said seven days a week and i did some hour broadways with flair in the eddie grant sports arena <clears throat> and, and you know having only a couple years experience in 90 degree heat
1: no a, no ac in the middle of the <clears throat> summer down there so it was it was a great experience speaking of barry windham let the fans know your relation to barry windham
2: yeah i married barry's sister stephanie Uh, this October we're coming up on our 40 40 year anniversary so
0: man that's
2: awesome uh, yeah
1: thank you and that's pretty good for the wrestling business (laughs) very very good Barry Barry had no problem with that off the rip (laughs) no actually Barry introduced us
2: and then when we when we six months later we got married and he told my wife Stephanie goes. You stole my best friend. So.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. So, so you guys were you guys were, were tag partners and friends, and then that's how you met your wife.
2: Yeah, okay. yeah. Barry very introduced us. And my wife had just taken a job with uh, uh, Delta Airlines as a flight attendant. She went to school at Appalachian State, and she came to visit from Dallas and never went back. And we got married six months later. So
0: man, that's awesome. That's awesome.
1: Beautiful, uh, beautiful story. As you alluded to before, um, you know, you and Barry had went to the WWF in 84 as a U.S. Express. What what was it like being part of that very first WrestleMania, you know, facing off against the Iron Sheik and Nikita uh, Volkov? Yeah, was, Volkov excuse me.
2: yeah, those days were the real hard down the road, though. I mean, we would go 35, 40 days straight you know, flying every day, flying, driving. It was kind of like planes, trains, and automobiles, you know, so because they didn't know how long it would last. And uh, we got in a program with Sheik and Volkov, and it, it just really clicked. And we went back and forth, you know, with the titles with them. And, and then WrestleMania came up, and nobody really knew, you know, at that point how well it was going to do. Like the garden used to always sell out Madison Square Garden. That was not a problem, but nobody had ever tried the pay-per-view stuff. And, you know, Vince pretty much forged the farm to, to make that happen and won with it. And now look at it, you know, this many years later, it's such a huge event, like a week long. Almost, you know, it's the Super Bowl of, of wrestling, so...
1: As a matter of fact, I was actually just watching a documentary um, a while back. You know the true story of WrestleMania, and it was like a twofold situation. Like the excitement was in the air, like you know the the big event, but also you know if it if it didn't if it failed or didn't do what it was supposed to, it could have been you know the end of the WWF as we know it. Right, and that's the truth. You know, like I said, Vince pretty much mortgaged the farm
2: to. Uh, make that show happen, and that was the first time, you know, anybody had the foresight to bring in all those, uh, you know, entertainers and stars from different genres and and put it together with wrestling, which made it even bigger, and it still continues to this day, you know, doing that. I produced matches, Shaq, when he came, I I produced for almost 13 years, I just retired about three years ago when covid but that was also a great experience, you know, going back there and seeing how much the business had grown and, you know, going all over the world with WWE where they go now. I mean, Saudi Arabia, Australia, Japan, and pretty much if they got a TV there, WWE will run a show there. So,
0: Well, it, <clears throat> speaking of WrestleMania 1, did you, as a wrestler, did you get a sense during the show, before the show, or even right after the show that, man, this is this is something special this is this is different this is going to kind of catapult the business did you have any any sense of that at all while, while you well, were
2: there I, I think everybody did but I'll, to be honest with you that that was the first time they gave anybody any time off so we had like a week off before wrestlemania and they told everybody you know make sure you get in the, the day before and Barry and I were kind of loose cannons back in those days. We flew up on the day of WrestleMania, worked a show, and flew back to Florida that same day. So oh, wow. now you now you couldn't have got away with that because it's <laughs> like a, a week long thing where you have uh, you know go to a, events and they have stuff booked. But we just we just looked at it like another show. But then once it once we got there, I mean it was like. It was pretty cool because uh, Dick Clark was one of the guys that interviewed Barry and I, and Dick Clark was a Syracuse alumni, and he goes, "I understand you're a Syracuse alumni," and I said, "Yes, sir," and you know, so I, you got to meet a lot of different people, and it, you could sense once you got there how big the show was, but still, like I said, nobody knew what folks were gonna be until they,
1: they figured up the numbers with the pay per view stuff and it was a big hit obviously. So. You guys were really living the gimmick of the US Express. You guys are in and out <laughs> Yes we were living the gimmick for so sure.
0: What was the travel schedule like back then? Were you guys traveling nationwide? Were you kinda of still staying somewhat um, in the Northeast territory or had Vents expanded so much where you guys were you might have been you know all the way over in LA, you might have been in Texas. what, what was the what was the travel yeah. schedule like?
2: yeah it was crazy between um pretty much the united states and canada and we used to do tv every three weeks you'd do three uh, three days of tv and then in between those three days you would run house shows every day so when you showed up at that at, at you know to do tvs you would get a stack of airplane tickets with a rubber band around and a book and so one night you might be in, in new york in Madison square garden the next night you're in san antonio texas the next night you're in cleveland ohio then you're in la there was a rhyme or reason they were just booking buildings and they had like three towns a night running so they were hitting it as hard as they could because nobody knew how long it was going to last you know and yeah it was it was a crazy schedule everybody was up at 6 a.m. getting on the first flight and then you basically got into town and went and worked out somewhere and maybe took a nap and then, you know, uh, did the show there and the next morning you're back at the airport or if you could drive. Over the years they, they, you know, did a better job of booking in a certain, at least in a state where you could drive some towns, but back then it was pretty much flying every day. And like I said, there was no rhyme or reason to what. One night you're in California, the next night you're in Pennsylvania. You know, it was.
0: If, if you were running three uh, shows, if they were running three shows a night, would would you being with you and Barry being the tag champions, would that dictate which town you'd go to? Or is there like an A, B, and C show? Does that dictate?
2: Yeah. Hey, we want yeah, the, yeah. we want the
0: tag champions over here because we have the Intercontinental Champion on this 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 house show. So is that how that worked?
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they kind of they kind of uh, split it up. But uh, to be honest with you, it didn't matter where we were going; it was selling out. Sure. So, and you know, like if you were on on Hulk Hogan shows, that was even better because you're on you know probably the biggest uh, arena, you know, where Hulkster was going. And if you were on there, that would be a better payoff than you know being in a small venue somewhere even if you were on top so cool. you know it's like I said they 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 had some reasoning to it but it was just the schedule itself was grueling
0: so when when what what led to Barry <clears throat> leaving the WWF and then you sometime after thereafter you left as well what what le- what led to all that
2: well, basically, I mean, just being on the road and
0: being young and dumb, we
2: figured we were invincible. And one night we got drunk in Baltimore and rammed a, uh, a Lincoln into the back of uh, Greg Valentine's Lincoln. And I remember we were downtown in Baltimore in a rough area and these cops drove by and they just kind of were all outside of the cars because we're looking at what happened. And, uh. The cops just kind of look at us and just kept driving, like, didn't even stop, didn't say nothing. <laughs> so that night, Barry and I go, this is it, screw this, we're done. And so we we decided to call the office and tell them we weren't coming back, blah, blah, blah. And, and Barry never did come back. He said, screw it. And I finally, you know, not knowing that much about the business at this point, I said, maybe I should go back. And Vince just said, just finish your dates. And so I did that. And, you know, then ended up leaving anyways, which was kind of good because when I, when I did go back to back then, it was the Crockett's, I went and and, uh, started my heel career. I got to do the varsity club, Dusty started that and it gave me some experience as a heel before I went back finally later and became IRS. So I had, you know, like five years under my belt, four years under my belt being a heel and up to that point, I'd never wrestled as a heel, you know, in the in the business. So it it, it was a and I loved the varsity club. I had a lot of fun with that with uh, Steiner and and Steve Williams and eventually Danny Spivey did some stuff in there. So it, it was a, and Kevin Sullivan. And it was a good gimmick to to switch over and you know have some uh, heel hey, heel. Hey. Uh,
1: and he also had a great tag team partner, and Jim Ross too. Because if you go back and watch some of them old matches on TBS and like the class of champions, and you know the different pay per views and all, I mean, Ross would really sell you as a major heel. Right, right. So
2: yeah, it's and Jim, you know, he was a knowledgeable guy about the business. He, you know, he did the announcing for so many years, commentating. You know, he pretty much knew everybody and. And knew a lot about the business as well. So it was, you know, he, you go through this business and and at the time when you're doing it, you're, you're just, it's nonstop. So you don't remember mo- Like people ask me about a match. You know, I probably had almost 3,500 matches. So it's hard to remember any one match or a period, more so a period than individual matches, you know. So, but... That's that's what the business was. You just kept going, and, and and you didn't get paid if you didn't wrestle, and if you were hurt, you know, you put some tape on it and went. So that's all you could do.
0: So wh- whose idea was the varsity club? Because you ha- here, it's a you have an incredible stable of three legit uh, Division One uh, amateur wrestlers, and obviously Dr. C Williams, big time, and, and you. I, I did not know this till we spoke today about your your football experience. So you throw that in. With the football experience, in Syracuse, of course, Dr. Dusty Williams was a big deal at the University of Oklahoma. How how did that all come about?
2: I think I'm pretty sure Dusty came up with that, you know. And at the time, guys had tried to go out and be baby faces and do the the good guy, you know. I wrestled in college, I did this, and it was such a different spin on you know the amateur uh, all American type guy making us heels we we could brag we could brag about how our school was better than any school that we were going to and that gets heat because people back their schools you know that they where they live you know you could say i remember wrestling a match with ron simmons and i did an interview you know like uh talking crap about florida state Florida State, you know, and back then they were national champions and I said I went to a real school where you had to read and write, you know. <laughs> and, and that trust me, that gets heat when you go into that, that uh into Tallahassee and you're wrestling Ron Simmons, so
1: you, you and Doctor Death, y'all are a great tag team, to get, uh, tag team together. Y'all had won the NWA World Tag Team titles from the Ro- Road Warriors and had some great matches with the Steiner Brothers. Y'all, you when y'all split up too, y'all had some great matches against each other. I remember watching, you know, and be like, "Man, Mike Rotunda, he can go." And you also, and I give you credit for that too. You could make, you know, Doctor Death look like a million bucks. Well, Doc was a beast. Trust me, <laughs>
0: <laughs> big man. I,
1: I'm.
2: We did a a loop. It was uh, Great American Bashes, and I wrestled Doc, I don't know, it was like 30-some times in a row every night. And uh, I had the title, so we would do like a 20-minute Broadway. And uh, we did a spot I'd be running, and Doc would hoist me up and press me over his head. And I'd have to tell Doc, easy, easy, (laughs) because he he would take me from one side of the ring and throw me. And I'd take, a, you know, a bump on the other side and my feet be tangled up in the ropes, so I'd have to calm him down so he wouldn't hoist me out of the damn ring. So, yeah, he was, Doc was a, he was a beast, brother, one of the strongest guys I've ever been around, just had unbelievable, you know, core power and just a uh, quick to he was a
0: beast. And that's what I want to ask. You know, you're dealing with someone with his his level of, of strength and, and and football and and, and wrestling background. What, what, how would you compare him to someone others that you've wrestled, wrestled, amateur or professionals? He he's just kind of in a league of his own.
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't. want I saw Doc at some of the couple of the tournaments and never got to wrestle him in college. And I'm probably glad. So <laughs> yeah, he 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 was a. Legit back then he was I don't know two eighty two ninety and just unbelievable leg power and just a beast you know so he's he's right up there in the tops with with uh, anybody I've ever been in the ring
1: with amateur or or professional as far as strength and quickness for sure. You would turn face, you would become Captain Mike Rotunda, and you would get your own crew of Abdul the Butcher and Norman the Lunatic. Y'all would feud with uh, Kevin Sullivan's uh, Slaughterhouse. You know he had Cactus Jack, Buzz Sawyer, Bam Bam Bigelow. What, what was it like uh, work doing that for you?
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, <clears throat> Kevin was such a a strange character. You know, I mean, how he ended up coaching the varsity club is beyond me to begin with. But I think Kevin was the the assistant Booker to Dusty and. Kevin was a smart guy and he knew if they were pushing us and doing this gimmick that he would be in the top, you know, echelon of what what was going on in the territory. And he Kevin did some weird stuff, you know, on the other side of the fence too with all the the devil stuff that he did. And but he was a smart guy. He was he was a smart guy as far as knowing the business and how things went with that, you know. And he was with Dusty for a long time. I'm sure that was a good learning experience for him and as well as Eddie Graham working in Florida you know those guys really knew what the hell they were doing as far as booking stuff and always you know always did well so it's it's a different business like I was lucky because I didn't have to go to 20 different territories and and start out you know here and worked here and I just kind of breezed through it and, and I think That because I had an amateur background that helped me excel faster because the physical things I could pick up quick. It was just more learning, you know, the uh, psychological uh, stuff in the business to get heat or to be liked, you know, and that and that's the biggest thing guys have a problem with. If you're going to be a heel, you need to be a heel. Right. Guys, guys don't want to be booed. You know, if, and if you don't want to be booed and hated and shit thrown at you, don't don't try to be a heel. You know, be, you really have to sell your, yourself out to get heat. Um, you know, and like it, that continued when I became IRS down the road. I, I, you know, would talk shit about people paying taxes and do tax cheat. Nobody likes to pay taxes, so it was an easy gimmick. But you really had to play it out. You know, and get stuff thrown at you and the Iron Sheik. He, oh, he was a classic brother. I mean, he he had more lawsuits. He used to always come to me at TV, and he'd go, "Monk, Baba, how come? Uh, what is this?" And then hey, he'd have a stack of lawsuits because he'd be going to the ring. Somebody'd whack him, and she
1: could whack him back. <laughs> they tried so, to sue, they tried to sue Sheiky, baby. <laughs> oh so,
2: yeah, every every week I get, and Sheik liked me. He I introduced myself. When I first met him in WWE, and one of his, one of the guys that he was on an Olympic team in Iran, his name was uh, Hamid Kermaishahi. He was one of our grad assistants at Syracuse, and he he coached, uh, you know, like while he was getting his masters at Syracuse. And I told him I met, uh, I told Sheik that he was one of my coaches. So right away, Sheik and I had a good connection, so he used to come to me and ask me about the lawsuits. And I guess back in those days, Vince was taking care of him because I don't think anything ever came of him. But yes, Sheik always, he's a classic.
0: And, and to put in perspective, how, I mean, I know the, the business wasn't as open back then, so a lot of people may not have, well, they didn't know, you know, Sheik's background other than what he told them as, as the Iron Sheik. But can you imagine being stupid enough as a fan to tu to to put your hands on the Iron Sheik, someone that could legitimately stretch you and and, and break oh, your yeah. back. I mean, he he was a legit tough guy, legit amateur wrestler. I I can't a former bodyguard for the Shaw. I can't imagine uh, being dumb enough to put my hands on the Iron Sheik.
2: Yeah, but you know, I mean, he had so much heat. Him and Nikolai uh, would go out and sing the national anthem and and have their <laughs> flags up. And I remember Barry and I wrestled. Uh, it was it was a six-man tag, and they just had switched George, the animal, steel baby face, so he was with Barry and I. And Morocco was on uh, Sheik and Volkoff's team, and we were in Buffalo. So they go to the ring, the three of them. They start singing a national anthem, and the fans must have thrown 50 raw eggs at them in the ring. They were busting yolks everywhere. Ugh. They... Got done with the song, and the crew came out and swept all the egg yolks and crap out, and then here we go, (laughs) down to the ring. We worked the match on that egg-covered mat, and uh, Morocco came back to the dressing room, and he told George, uh, George Scott was the booker, he told him, I gotta work with those guys again, I want hazard pay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, you go for literally. Hey, I've got to go up against the U.S. Express, and this is during the mid '80s with the Iran issues, and so yeah, and, and obviously the Iran and the Soviet issues with the Soviet Union. So you couldn't have you couldn't have picked a more heat-seeking gimmick than Nikolai Volkov no, and the Iron Sheik.
2: No, they had heat, brother. We look up in the ring, Barry, go come on, and I go what our music would be playing. And back then you didn't have the railings and stuff. You kind of made your way through the crowd. It was packed in there and look up. There's 20 people in the ring with Sheik and Volkov fighting them. So it's, it's speaking into, of your
0: music, people know, I don't think a lot of fans remember that the, that the original theme was the real American was, what ended up being Hulk Hogan's famous theme was the, uh, right. the original theme for the U S express.
2: Yeah. And that's part of the young and dumb era with us because like dumbasses, <laughs> we left missed out on a bunch of, Merchandise and stuff, money because that's when the first figure figures came out for WWE, you know, and Vince came out with the album and all the stuff that was going on, and uh, we missed out on a good paydays because we did leave in that era, you know. So, but you, you learn you learn stuff along the way. If you and just would have so-
1: stayed away from Greg the Hammer's Lincoln, <laughs> <laughs>
2: good
1: <laughs> we've we've alluded to it a little bit before but in 1991 you would go the wwf as erwin r Schyster, IRS, a former tax collector from washington dc this is one of my favorite characters and gimmicks of all time who who come up with this concept it's genius i i don't know
2: to be honest with you i'm i'm thinking vince probably had something to do with it because they have this was like the first time WWE started doing a creative department, you know, and and uh, knowing Vince, he probably came up with it because he hated the tax guys. They were always after him one way or the other, so probably Vince should take credit for that, and I thought about it, and I was going like, I don't know if this is going to work, but. It's when I did the vignettes and you talk crap about people talking, Vince was right there and wanted it a certain way. So I'm, I'm assuming that came up with
0: it. Was the IRS character, at, to me as a kid, it wasn't much different than when you were Michael Wall Street just a year or two prior at WCW. Did you kind of play off that, kind of morphed into IRS? Did you take some some inspiration from that?
2: Well, I think that that's probably what triggered the difference when I went back because I started the wall street gimmick and Tony Schiavone came up with that and they had already, uh, Jim heard was the, the guy in charge at WCW and Crockett's just sold to Turner. And so <clears throat> Jim heard, they sent me a, a notice. They weren't renewing my contract.
0: Ah. So
2: then I started the, the wall street deal and it got, they got attention. I did an article with USA Today. I did an Inside Edition in the vignettes themselves because the the movie Wall Street was hot. Yep. So they they kind of spun it off of that. I think heard heard text or contact me back and said they were going to give me a six month extension. And I said no way because I know they just bring me in and beat me because I just they knew. You know and it got attention they couldn't buy somebody to get an article back in those days and put them in usa today and so it got some attention and i i gave him my notice and said i'm not signing this and i booked myself in japan with new japan and uh my last day i dusty was there and i said dusty i said they gave me a six-month extension i said i'm not going to do that you know and this is back, too, when guys were signing pretty good contracts with WCW. So I, I did know was smart enough to leave, and, and WWE took me back and put the IRS gimmick, and that kind of morphed into putting me with Ted because he was the rich, crooked guy, and I was the crooked IRS <clears throat> agent. So kind of worked itself into, into working. You know? oh, no, no so. pun,
0: full pun intended here, but that was a money gimmick, the two of you, for sure. That was a great so gimmick. Then,
2: and to this day, I mean, it's amazing. I go and do probably a couple of months, like, uh, autograph signings or Comic Cons, and I do a lot of them with Ted. And it's amazing how how much people remember that stuff, you know. And also, I think it helps because you can get so much content, you know, from WWE and YouTube and watch the old stuff like when we were doing it. So the people that watched it in our era are introduce it to their kids and and they're watching it now and they know who we are which is amazing you know i'm 65 years old and they're they remember when when we were wrestling so it it kind of works itself out and is a good and like i said i think the biggest thing is like the content people can get on like old stuff now which vince owns a lot of that i'm sure but still you know there's there's a market for it and and right now, uh, I'm still on a Legends contract with, with WWE and they're coming out with some new merchandise for me this year in, uh, in 2024, which, you know, only helps. When you go do these signings, they can bring a new figure or a bobblehead or this or that to get signed. And and it's, a, you know, I, 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 as a heel for so many years, I wouldn't talk to people. I was a heel. They and then they, you know, cussed me out when I wouldn't talk to them. But now it's it's so different and it's funny because Ted and I, will be sitting at a table and somebody will come up and want to get something signed and they go, I really hated you guys when I was a kid. So so,
0: if, so in other words, your your gimmick worked. They, we they, and, and I can echo that that sentiment. As a kid, I absolutely hated. You know, IRS and Ted DiBiase, it was just oh, I couldn't wait. SummerSlam '92, you guys like the the, the the Legion Doom is gonna is gonna get them.
1: My favorite part of that was he told the uh, he told the crowd they're a burden on the royal family because they wouldn't pay their fair share of the taxes. <laughs> oh, uh, Mike, you're gonna you're gonna appreciate this. I got I got Willie really good last night. I waited till a little bit uh, later in the evening. I sent him a text message I said uh, hey man we're not going to be able we're not going to be able to do the interview with the IRS in the morning he was like, he's been so excited about it. He said, "Wow, what happened?" I said, "Oh shit, man, I forgot to pay the taxes on the podcast." <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I just, I just sent him back a meme, going, "Yep, you got me." you got, yeah, absolutely like, you got, me. You got me,
1: Mary. You got me. I was me. legit,
0: like, you got to be kidding me, man. I've been, I've been doing my research. Not that I, I mean, I do my research from watching as a kid, but I've been like, man, I'm ready for this. And then you know, he just he <laughs> dropped that one on me. But speaking of SummerSlam '92, tell tell us about that. What was it like going to Wembley and and, and wrestling in front of a, a crowd? You know that big. I mean, obviously, a few months ago, that that AEW. I'm not real big on modern wrestling, but I know they held a held a show um, at Wembley. But you guys did it first. What was it like wrestling in front of all those those wild um, fans in the UK?
2: Yeah, it was it was like a week long process because they had us over there doing you know some appearances here and there. I mean, and that that was a, a really big uh, show feeling too. It was the like the first time they were gonna go in and do something like that, and you know, internationally, and it, it was cool. It was really, we stayed there, like I said, probably pretty much a week before, and did a lot of stuff to promote it, and it it was a it was a great show, and and uh, I I remember Hawk, and they were they were rehearsing the Road Warriors entrance. They were supposed to come out of one of the bombs, like in the in the uh, Stadium. So Vince was over there, and a bunch of bunch of the crew and guys were over there. were just hanging out, watching, and, and Hawk was in quite a quite a mood. <laughs> 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 so Vince, Vince is Vince is kind of telling him what he wants him to do. And in the middle of all this, Vince talking and telling him what what he wants him to do. Hawk just fires up that Harley, and he's in the bomb, and so he's wrecked a bit. And Vince got so mad he just turned around and walked off and left. So Yeah, it was a quite a quite a show. But, but I yeah, want, I was here.
1: I wanna so, say on that interest too, when the Road Warriors came out on the cycles, I wanna say that Hawk did something and ended up like burning his leg or something off the exhaust or something off of that.
2: That I don't remember, but he probably didn't feel it if he did, so
1: Yeah, he wasn't I don't think he I don't think he was in the greatest state, you know, for that match that day.
2: You know, and that show, too, we were told sold more merchandise in one night than any any concert with the Rolling Stones or anything they ever had in the history there and sold more uh, merchandise in that one show than they had ever had at Wembley. So well, was,
0: I uh, very much believe that. I mean, when you, you had, you know, you had, British, you had David Boy Smith and, and Bret Hart, with, and they weren't even the world champion. It was for the Intercontinental title. They led. They were the headliner. And I mean, right. it was it was insane. Like to me, as a fan, I look back on that show as on par, on the same level. Like I look back as, as a WrestleMania. Like that's how big of a deal that show was.
2: Yeah, and for sure, you know, I mean, as far as a live crowd too, that was the biggest live crowd they ever had up to that point. You know, so it, yeah, it was it was awesome experience for sure. It was it was pretty cool. And back those days too, we were going to we were going to Europe a lot, because the crowds were over there, it was really drawn, and, and so we, I think in three year period, like around this would be IRS time, I did 18 three week tours in uh, Europe, because we would go there, and we didn't have to film the live TV or Friday, like you have to do now, so you would do your TVs, and then go do three week tours in Europe, and then come back home and, you know, and then do TV again or whatever. But we did, we were hitting pretty much all throughout Europe, and everything was really good business. At one point, they were piggybacking shows. So if you were in London, you know, at their arena, it would sell out one night, and then WWE had the second crew coming in the next night and would sell out again. And we would piggyback each other off in Germany and France and England and Spain wherever you know all throughout Europe Ireland was good everywhere was just selling out so I really like it. it was easy for me because you didn't have to get rental cars you got on a bus kind of like you do in Japan and they had catering not like they do now we we had catering at the building and you had to have a get a to-go container because I couldn't eat before I wrestled. I would get something to eat for after. And you didn't have a car to get around or go. They didn't have food at the hotels and like they do now. It's you know, I mean, you could get in three in the morning and they have a big spread for the talent at catering now. And it wasn't like that back then. But and we You, you were truly lot.
0: an independent contractor back then.
2: Yeah, and we stayed. You didn't stay at the hotels they stay at now. It's it's evolved into a, a lot a lot better for the talent Uh, I'm
1: sitting I'm sitting here thinking like I alluded to before I love the IRS uh gimmick and character so much like throughout the years you've, you've hit everybody with uh, with the tax thing I remember one time like you came back on a special edition of Raw you were questioning Jerry Lawler about not paying the uh, <laughs> taxes on the jewels and his crown one time Tatonka <laughs> ancestral headpiece something about some taxes didn't get paid <laughs> it's just Bro. I love that man thank thank you for taking me back to you know back in the day today I'm, I'm in heaven today this is great
2: I'll tell you I went I wrestled in Vancouver one night, and they have a big, you know, like American Indian population there. And I had done that uh, thing on TV where I tore, Chief Strongbow gave uh, Tatanka a headdress, and I tore it all up. So I wrestled Tatanka there, and I came out to the arena. There was like 30. Indian guys waiting for me, and they were gonna freaking beat my ass. They're gonna scalp you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Back then, you didn't have like security and stuff. And I'm going, "Hey guys," I said, "You want to kill somebody?" I said, "Kill Vince McMahon." I said, "This is his idea. I'm just work here, and we're trying to put (coughs) media, whatever you know." And they didn't. Luckily, they I talked my way out of it because there was literally 25, 30 guys just wanting to kill me.
0: <laughs> it's was hard, and what's what's great? It's hard to get that level of of legit heat these days with everybody knowing the business. But that that is that's yeah. that's what I miss about the old days. That's what you know. Not that you I hated, obviously. You're you you know you might have been in a little bit of danger, but it was it's it's great that you were truly able to get the crowd legit angry at you, like they they hated. Well, you.
2: I could live without that at my age now. Of <laughs>
0: No doubt, no
1: doubt. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, earlier this year, the world lost one of the greatest professional wrestlers to ever live. Um, fans know him better as Bray Wyatt, but um, talk about your son Wyndham Rotunda and I want and I want to just take a minute and and, and honor him. I, in my opinion, one of the greatest professional wrestlers that ever lived. he He was just awesome in so many aspects and they'll they'll never be another him.
2: Yeah, it's it's been really hard. We miss him
1: <laughs>
2: every day. And the sad part, yesterday, growing up in the business, you always book stuff during the week because you're going to be you know wrestling on the weekends or doing TV. When I mean, sorry guys no 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 problem no problem at all please
0: take your time it's it's please take your time
2: Wyndham and Jojo were supposed to get married yesterday mm. and the reason you know like I said you grew up in this business you have to book stuff in the middle of the week so you're wrestling if people can come and yesterday was an exceptionally sad day and like I said, we we miss Wyndham horribly every day. My wife was so close, not that she isn't with our other two kids, but Wyndham was the first one, and, and we would bring him on the road when, you know, six months old, and they would come with me and, and stay on the road and, you know, wherever I was wrestling. And, and so hard, you know, and wake up out of this nightmare and and he's still not there. Uh, it, it's truly, I, I have to give WWE credit. I mean, they've been awesome helping our family out with a lot of different stuff. They put Wyndham on a, on a legends contract and, and all the, the proceeds are going to go to Wyndham has four children. Um, and, You know, like I said, he was supposed to get married yesterday to Jojo, and uh, he has two little kids with her and a boy and a girl, Nash and Hyrie, and he was married at one point and went through a divorce and has two other girls that are uh, Caden and Kendall, and they're all beautiful children, and luckily, we have them,
1: you know. Amen. But... Thank you. We, not we only as it. not only as a wrestler, but from what all I've I've read and seen, like he was just really an awesome human being.
2: He he was he was a a jolly fellow. You know he he loved to laugh. He was loud, always, you know, always laughing and and just he lit up a room. And he lit, he lit up the wrestling business.
0: Man, did he ever! He,
2: <laughs> people, Man, did he ever. People, people come up to me and have a story with Wendell and say, you know, he took the time to sit there and bullshit with me for 10, 15 minutes and he's supposed to be signing autographs. And and, and he, so many people come up and, you know, support him with wearing their stuff, Wendell's stuff, and just have a story about him. He was that kind of person. He loved the like when we have family outings it's it's a chaos at our house it's, there's dogs running around and, and kids screaming and that wind was in his element. in
1: that in that situation he just loved it so we miss him badly he he had something about him that that i've always noticed his eyes could tell the story and speaking of speaking of the fans and all like when he would when i would when i see pictures of him with fans and everything his eyes don't tell a story of he's inconvenience he's in a hurry he's in a rush he seems happy and honored to be there with them as well just like they do him
2: he he did he made people feel good about themselves which is a gift you know and he's got He's got my wife's beautiful blue eyes, and it's hard to, I don't know, I, I don't think we're ever going to get over this. You know, it's, it's very hard, and the, the worst part about it, too, I can't wait till this year finishes because I was up in New York. My mom had a stroke when she was 86 years old. And I spent three months going to a nursing home every day, and our my sister and myself watched her take her, her last breath. And my wife flew up, and Wyndham, actually, Wyndham and Taylor came up and visited with my mom uh, for a few days, and my daughter wasn't able to come because she just had a baby and couldn't travel with the, the baby. And so I, we lost my mom, and Two weeks later, we lost Wyndham. So, yeah. this year, we're going to celebrate the new year. So, so, this day this one done.
0: so the merchandise to WWE. You said they are selling some merchandise to that will be, I guess, proceeds or or will be going to your grandchildren to or to his family. Out. How can fans get those? How can you can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure all of. They've come out with a bunch of uh, a collection of memorabilia T-shirts at this point, but I think they have more in the works. Um, and you you can go on www.shop.com okay. and and get all the stuff. And you can look under you know his name Bray Wyatt or Fiend or there there's so much merchandise. Which Wynn was one of the top guys, merchandise selling guys that they had for quite a while. And this is really going to help because they can, they can go on and buy stuff. And like I said, they're I'm sure they've got more stuff planned down the road. But right now, they they put out a, a huge line of T-shirts with them, and, and I'm I'm not totally 100% all of what they have come out with or what they're doing. But I know that people can go on there and, and you know search his name and. And uh, that that would really help, you know, the kids and stuff because 'cause you know, they're not gonna have their dad anymore. So, you know, we're trying to set trust up, up for them and and have them taken care of. So that's that's greatly appreciated by us. And like I said, WWE has been more than more than gracious in the stuff they have tried to help with, and it's appreciated
1: by our family. Mike, our sincerest apologies, though. We didn't mean to put you in a bad spot or, or bring up anything. No, we, just don't, okay. we don't want the world to forget about Bray, one of the greatest professional wrestlers ever.
2: It's okay. I I, I understand. It's it's just hard to talk about. But, you know, you got to get back on the horse. We got kids to worry about as well. So I, I appreciate you guys letting me come on here and, you know, tell tell the people where, where they can go to find this stuff and help because – it's greatly appreciated.
0: Yeah, and fans, you can go again. You can go to www.shop.com, and as most of you know, we're we're and and just go through the search bar and any any merchandise um, from Bray Wyatt the Fiend. Um, any any purchase you make is gonna uh, the proceeds will be going to his children, and his family. So let's let's uh, continue to show the love to, to, to the late great Bray Wyatt um, and his family, the 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 Wyndham and the Rotunda family, also the Wyndham family, but the Rotunda family and uh let's show our love and let's uh let's go buy some merchandise
1: thank you guys and and Mike thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on this morning and, and not really knowing anything about us and, and giving us a chance and, and and in my opinion you know a really awesome fun interview and I, I can't thank you enough and it's been it's it's been a very very high honor and I really appreciate it
0: yes thank you so much well
1: I thank you guys man for
2: having me and, and uh, you know I when, when you said Ted kind of recommended you guys, I knew it was it was a, a good thing to do. You know, I'm pretty close with Ted, so I, trusted, I trust
1: his vision. And, and speaking of that as well, like we've had some pretty big names and, you know, wrestling legends on the show, but I'm sitting here, I, I was thinking since we're doing the interview, I think you guys are the first tag team we've had. Money Inc., Ted DiBiase, and Erwin R. Scheister together. Well, it's a
2: good thing you didn't get Jimmy Hart on there because we wouldn't <laughs> be able to get, get a word in edgewise.
0: <laughs> yeah, baby, yeah. You know, we uh, Jimmy. Jimmy's a great man. I um, quick quick story. I I I, I know some of the fans know this, but when I was so I was I was in the army and I was injured uh, in Iraq back in 2005 and 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 lost both of my legs. And but while I was at Walter Reed, I got to meet Jimmy Hart, and for me it was great because I remember Jimmy Hart from Memphis wrestling growing up. And so he he was just super super kind, um, and I got to meet him about a year later. He got me front got me some um, floor side seats to Raw, and I just I think I'm a huge forever grateful and a huge huge uh, Jimmy Hart fan.
2: Well, first off, I uh, thank you for your service. I mean, that's, oh, it, that's, it was it was my
0: honor. It was my honor. Yeah,
2: and Jimmy Jimmy is a great guy. Actually, we just did a, a signing up in. Uh, Winston Salem, North Carolina, uh, wasn't last weekend, but the weekend before, and Jimmy was there. And, and uh, yeah, he he's all uh, he, he looks the same. He, never he does. He
0: does it, and I look it up, and I realize he's close to eighty years old, or is eighty years old. Un- I'm, I'm floored. I'm floored. I'm floored because yeah, he legit looks the same.
2: He does, and he always been a great guy, you know, to be around, and he's fun,
1: and and uh, he. He, he's a classic that's for sure so well I, I i can tell you i can tell you um that why he still looks like that and he's had such a good life it's because he's always paid his taxes that's right yeah and he doesn't
2: <laughs> eat and he doesn't eat meat <laughs> doesn't eat meat well no? yeah. he pulled a
1: handsome jimmy valiant on us he doesn't yes. eat meat there you go well mike once again thank you it's been such an honor and thank you so much for coming on, on here this morning we can't thank you enough
2: thank you guys for having me and uh Be safe and take care, brothers. Thank Thank you.
0: you. Thank you so much, Mike.
2: Thank you, Mike. All right.
0: God bless you. You too. All right.